the end that God would help the word to come into our hearts because this morning's text is one that I find challenging, not so hard as to understand, although I want to give you three different interpretations, but I get frightened a little bit about the implications. Do you ever, do you ever feel like life's too big? And isn't it great, as we sang, that we come to the altar Jesus is calling, and he is enough. But I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22. You're going to think this is a parenting message. It's not going to be, although there are going to be several parenting elements in it. But it's one of those... Easily remembered verses. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. How many of you know this verse? Train up a child in the way they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, so many of you have. How about the one that comes down a few verses later? Verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it out. Now, my father was fond of quoting verses before discipline sessions. Um, I've already given you the Ephesians quote, you know, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. I've already given you the, do you want to live? Well, do you? Do you, punk? Do you want to live? And... I remember on more than one occasion, my father saying to me, we're going to drive out the folly, the rod of discipline. I I was so frustrated because I could not see any connection between a belt to the rear end and wisdom. Um, It just didn't seem to match for me. But both of these verses are verses that we often mistake, mistreat, misunderstand. Is that noise in the mic, is that because the fan? Who's going to tell me that's what it is? That's what it is. I might have to turn the fan off because there's a lot of... I will. How's that? Get slightly a little less. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many of you are encouraged by that verse? Wow. Maybe, maybe one. Okay. How many of you feel defeated by that verse? No, nobody. How many of you didn't really think about that? Just like, it's a proverb. I just read it and went past it and never thought about it again. There are three interpretations I want to give you this morning. I like threes, don't you? Three interpretations. First of all, this verse could be telling us that, and this is the traditional interpretation, start right with your child. Teach them the right way from the beginning. And then when they're older, 
they won't depart from it. They'll stay on track. Show them the track, get them on track early, and then when they're older, they won't go off track. Sounds wonderful. That would be awesome. And in fact, I remember hearing more than one sermon on this that said you have to have your children by the, eight, by the time they're two. Mm, all the birthdays we celebrated this morning, it's past that point. By the time they're two. And so you have to have them. You have to have them on track. You have to have them bound in to the gospel and to the way of the, the, way of the Lord by the time they're two. And then when they're old, they won't depart from it. The problem with that interpretation is it doesn't sound so much like a promise as a taunt. It sounds like a charge. Because I, as I grew, did not always stay on track. How many of you knew the track at some point in your life, knew what you should do, and did something different? Three of you. Five of you. Oh, more of you. Okay, so we, I think we probably all have. I often, purposefully, with knowledge of what I was doing, and with knowledge that I'd known since I was young, since I was very young, I went off track. But this verse says, train them up in the way they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it. It brings a load of guilt sometimes to a parent. A parent can look at their child and say, you know... They're 12 years old, and I still can't get them to make their bed in the morning. Some of you are looking at each other. kind of. I already know two or three people here that have trouble making their bed in the morning because someone else is looking at you. Someone else will say, at this point, they should know by now. And as a pastor, I can say the same about, I sometimes look at myself, my family, my congregation, and I think, Shouldn't you know by now? Don't you know any better by now? And it can mine up a lot of guilt. Where have I failed? How often have parents said, where did I go so wrong? What did I do wrong that you turned out this way? That's a sad thing to say to a child. That's a sad thing to say to an emerging adult. And that's a sad thing to feel. It's my, this is up to me, and I am responsible, and I'm the one that kept you from turning out. But this is a general proverb. And we understand that these proverbs are not simple, absolute promises. They're general promises. Or they're general proverbs. A penny saved is a penny earned. Early to bed and early to, or early to rise makes a man healthy and wealthy and wise. And you know that there's no guarantee. Like, I go to bed really early. I get up really early. I'm not always healthy. I'm not always wealthy. And I'm not always wise. So I can't really claim that as an absolute promise. But we know it's a general proverb. Teach your child early, they'll stay on track. Okay. That's one interpretation. The second interpretation is diametrically opposite. And that is, this isn't a promise, it's a warning. And that is, let a child go early and they'll continue to go off track late in life. Because the word should... Train up a child in the way that they should go isn't actually, it's kind of a guess as to this is what this means in the Hebrew. And so we're kind of guessing, interpolating there. And actually, 
we could read this verse, quite literally could read this verse, train up a child in their own way, and when they are older, they'll continue in it. Which also makes sense. Let them go, and they'll keep going. How many of you have noticed that to be true? If you don't put up a fence, if you don't ever say no, they won't get there on their own. No child that I know of has ever gone to mom and dad and said at age eight, mom, dad, why do you let me get away with so much? You need to clamp down. You need to discipline a little bit more. I'm getting off track. And this is your fault. Why don't you ever say no? I don't know of children who have said that. I don't know of disciples who have said that and said, you got to teach me. you got to help me because I'm going off track. But parents can do this. We can say things like, you know, it's just their way. You know, little, little Johnny, he has a temper. He's always had a temper. And, you know, there's really nothing that we can do about it. He's got a temper. We just love him anyway. Little Sally, she never makes her bed. And she chews her hair. And she's a bully to her neighborhood. It's just her way. So there's not much we can do about that. In other words, parents can do this. Parents can say, it's just their way. And the proverb says, you keep letting them go on just their way, and they're going to keep going. The problem with us is once we start going, we generally keep going if it's our own idea. That develop, we develop a kind of inertia. Uh, a, a body tends to stay in motion, right? And it tends to stay on a trajectory. It tends to stay on a path. And so if the first interpretation is correct, you get them on the path early, get them going, and they'll tend to stay on that. Of course, now we're buffeted by winds of society, the world, the flesh, the devil. There's always temptation to change the path. We always get knocked off the path. But if our thought is, just let them go, just, just let it happen, then it's just going to happen. And it's going to get worse, and it's going to get more as it goes. It's meaningless. It's meaningless for parents to say, it's just their way. This is your job. You're the parent, and it's your job to teach them the path. It's your job to show them life. It's your job to teach them the way of wisdom. And Proverbs is about wisdom and foolishness. And wisdom is the way of Jesus, and foolishness is the way of the world. And it's our job to impart that. And so the second interpretation is more warning. Don't let them just go, because they'll just keep going. They won't get there on their own. I kind of sometimes feel like they'll grow up one day. You know, he'll grow out of it. She'll grow out of it. We don't grow out of our bad habits. Have you noticed that? We just don't. So... On the path, there's a warning. Third interpretation is figure out what your child is, who she is, who he is. Help them know how to use that on the path that they're going in. In other words, when, if your daughter is really, really artsy, help them develop that skill. If your son is really, really artsy or mathematically inclined or a builder, or a kind 
discussing mediator, help them. Give them talents. Help them along the skills that develop that innate person that's in there. Because we are all different. We all do have different personalities. Depending on which personality profile you find, you follow, we have four different personalities or nine different personalities or 81 different personalities. But find out which you are and develop that. Develop that with your child. I don't know how this works. I, I, I was skeptical. At, I'm still skeptical now. But I'll relate it because it works as an illustration. I had a friend in seminary who loved to whittle. He loved to whittle wood. And he made amazing wit, uh, carvings out of wood. He would find a knot, a wooden knot from a tree. Special wood, knurled. And he would carry this knot, maybe about this big, size of a grapefruit, maybe a little larger. He would carry it with him everywhere he went for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. We went to class together. He would have that sitting on his desk. He had it in his backpack. He actually slept with it. It was in bed with him. And he carried it everywhere. And I, you would say to him, why do you carry this knot of wood wherever you go? He says, I'm trying to figure out what it is because then I'll carve it. I'm going to carve it, but first to know what it is. Well, isn't it whatever you make it? No, it's, it's actually something and I've got to uncover what it is. Now, I was skeptical then. I'm skeptical now. I've heard sculptors say that they look at a block of granite and figure out what it is before they start to apply hammer and chisel. You, some of you are the artists, and some of you say, I'm not skeptical. I get it. That's fine. More power to you. But my point, the illustration works, which is figure out what you are, figure out who your child is, and help them uncover that. You know the expression... Find something that you like to do, do that, and you'll never go to work a day in your life. If your job is something you like to do, how, is that the way the expression goes? You never work a day in your life? Which isn't actually true, because if you end up doing that job, it means you're going to go to work every day of your life, and you'll never be free from it. But you get the idea. Like, find something you love to do, and do that, and it won't feel like work. Find something that you, find something that he, that she is good at, skilled at, made to do, and help them do that. And when they're old, they'll just keep doing that. Now, if you have always dreamt that your son is going to be a star baseball player, but they can't get the hand-eye coordination thing down, they just can't do it. They cannot catch a ball they cannot throw a ball, they can maybe roll it. But they can't throw, they can't catch, and they can't hit. And you keep trying to make them into a great baseball player, it's going to be frustrating for them and for you. It's going to create tension. Don't go that way. Find out what they're good at, help them use that. So that's the third interpretation. Isn't it frustrating to you sometimes to know that there are three different interpretations and they're kind of like, well, which one's right? 
Like, what do we do with this? Is this the way you read the Bible? You kind of go, I don't know, it could mean this, could mean this. Whatever you want to make it mean, that's what it means. No, that's not what you're going to hear this morning. I'm not going to tell you which one of these, translation, or these interpretations is the right one. Because you know what? I don't know. I really do not know which one is the right one. I do know, though, and I hope that you'll see this with me, is that all three of them are built some very important, strong truths. And these truths we can underline this morning. All three of them tell us, number one, that actions have trajectories. Action, activities don't occupy a point. They occupy a point in a path. Things don't just happen. They happen towards something. What you are doing or not doing today has a trajectory down the road. And I always think about shooting. I like to shoot. I like to take a rifle and go do target practice. And I hunt targets. That, so I like to do that. Now, the thing about trajectory is that you can aim at a target, and it's 100 yards away, and you can adjust your aim very, very tiny amount, just the slightest fraction at the end of the, the barrel of the rifle. And you aim with just a fraction, and it moves several feet at the end of the trajectory towards the target. A little tiny adjustment here makes a big adjustment down the path. So there's no such thing as, oh, that's such a small thing, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing. There may be something such as, it's not the biggest thing we have to deal with, so I'm going to let it go while I deal with something bigger. You don't have to discipline yourself or your children or others on everything. But you don't think, oh, it's too small to matter. Actions have trajectories. They have paths. They're moving towards something. Set your children, set yourself, set your brother and sister on trajectories that matter. Secondly, you have a responsibility. You're in a war against the foolishness that's bound up in a child's heart. You're on a war against foolishness that's bound up in the world. Proverbs 1-8 teaches us that there are two voices in the world. There's the voice of the woman of wisdom and the voice of the woman of foolishness. And we're on a path to fight foolishness. And you have a responsibility. You cannot abdicate your responsibility. You're in a war. And when you're in a war, it's not like, well, I just took the day off. Taking the day off from discipleship. Taking the week off from parenting. Now, I know how much you can desire to do that. Especially those of you who are moms with very small children. The idea of a week off from being a parent is extremely attractive. In the summertime, when various institutions say, we'll take your kid for the day, it's rare to find a mom or dad going, oh, that doesn't sound good at all. I, I want my children with me 24-7. Oh, it sounds attractive. Like, go ahead, yes. Take them for two weeks. I hope, though, that you realize, and I know that you do, that you can't take a break. You can't take a, a vacation from your responsibility. We're in a war. 
we're in a war against the foolishness bound up in our hearts. In this war, there's training. Training. Train up a child in the way they should go. Train one another. Have you ever watched an interview with an Olympic athlete? You know, they've won the gold medal at the, at the Olympics. And the interviewer says, tell me what it's like. Like, how long have you had this goal to, to achieve this, this medal, to achieve this award? And they say, I trained maybe an hour a week for years. Many of you in the battle of your life train an hour a week, Sunday morning between 10 and 11. Training is a daily, rigorous activity. Training as a parent, training as a discipler, training as a Christian is a daily, rigorous activity. Paul says, I want to win the prize, and so I'm daily beating my body. I'm daily in training. I'm daily running the race. It's 10,000 hours, we're told, to develop a skill. 10,000 hours. That's a lot of Sunday mornings, isn't it? 10,000 Sunday mornings, especially when by the time the next Sunday comes around, you've forgotten everything you heard the first Sunday. Especially when you haven't given any thought, you haven't continued it, you haven't developed it. Some of you are impatient with the groundwork of training, with the groundwork of battle. I kind of alluded to that in my podcast this last week. These podcasts, we hope, are going to come out. Many of you are wondering when they're going to come out. The plan is still, it changed a little bit, that's true. But the plan is they come out Wednesday. I don't know what time on Wednesday, but they come out Wednesday. You'll see them in your feed on Thursday morning or Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon. But, and I alluded to this last week that some of you are a little impatient because the podcast was supposed to be about one particular issue. And I spent all my time talking about idolatry and general issues. And it's kind of like, when will you get to the point? But the thing is, before you can get to the point, you have to train Thing. And I always think of the Karate Kid. It's kind of a silly movie. It's kind of makes a kind of silly, silly point. And I don't know whether the, in the newer Karate movie it's the same thing. But the, there's the famous scene in Karate Kid where he's going to learn karate, and his mentor sends him out to wash the car. And sends him out to sand the floor. And sends him out to fence. I'm going to switch up my microphone because I think I'm just going in and out all the time. I'm not. Oh. Okay. And at one point, Daniel, frustrated and with his mentor says, I want to learn karate, and all you have me doing is being your slave. Sanding the floor, painting the fence, washing the car. And then there's that scene where the, his mentor says, show me, sand the floor. And then he tries to attack him. Show me, paint the fence, you know. And he's doing all these moves. He says, you learned lots of karate. You got to learn the big things before you can learn the specific things because you're in training. 
You're in training for warfare. And many of you are impatient with, I had to study, I have to think, I have to apply myself. I just want, I just want an answer to this one question. I just want a solution to this one problem. Right now, my marriage is in trouble. Solve my marriage. I don't need all this other stuff. You really do. You really do because you can't solve your marriage while you're living in this idolatry. You really don't have the tools for the job to solve your finances. You don't really have the tools to work with how to figure out the doubt in your heart or the depression that you're facing. You don't have the tools for that. You've got to put in the 10,000 hours and you've got to train. Thirdly, I want you to learn that these verses all tell us to keep your eye on the future. Where's this going? Where's this heading? Rather than saying well, it's just a small thing, where's it going to land? Where is this going to start? I often say to people, especially with raising children, but in any part of life, remember that whatever new thing you introduce doesn't happen for one night. If you say, yes. Tonight, you can go to bed without a bath. And tonight, you don't need to brush your teeth. Well, that will not just be the only night that this comes up. The next night, and the next night, and the next night, and the next. Whatever is introduced is introduced forever. And wherever you go, wherever it goes, it's on a track to keep going. It's on a track to keep lusting, to keep turning. And you have to aim for the future. What are you aiming at? What's your goal? Can I ask you this? What is your goal? Where are you headed with your life? Is your goal just to get through the next 10 years? Is your goal just to accomplish these three, three big things? My goal is to own a house, to have a family, and to be profitable in my job. Is that your goal? That's the only future that you're planning for? What are you aiming at? Because our aim is to be found worthy, to be found acceptable, to be found with Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made like him. I want to be conformed to him. I want to be like, I want to know, I want to see Jesus. And that's why this isn't a, dis a parenting message. This is a discipleship message because where are you going? <coughs> what is it you want God to give to you? What is it that you want God to train you in? You want to just do your own thing? Is your goal in life just, I just want to be happy? I just want to be comfortable? I just want to be free. Is that your goal? There's suffering ahead. There are hard times ahead. There's pain ahead. Do you know the goal of Jesus? Because, see, we're all children. Children don't typically, at age three, say to mom and dad, I understand these rules that you're laying down before me. I know that you just want what's best for me. I understand that you know what it is, and I just trust you, and I'm so glad you've said no to me every, for everything that I've asked. Children typically don't do that, and neither do we. 
We are not that kind of disciple typically. We are the kind who say, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? Why is this still happening? And I don't mean to be flippant because sometimes it is incredible pain or it's an incredible series and they just keep coming and coming and coming and we want to throw up our hands and say, enough! And they keep coming and coming and we throw it, God, please, I can't do it! And it keeps coming and we don't typically trust. And we say, God, why are you ruining my life? Recognize love. Recognize your parent. Recognize the way of your father, your way of your mother, the way of God. And trust it. See the cross and see the resurrection. See, sometimes kids say, you don't know me. You don't understand. You're trying to ruin my life. Your daughter's 10 years old. And she wants to go on a camping trip. And you say, no. What will often your daughter's response be? Not fair. All my friends are going. You're trying to ruin my life. You don't care. Now, it could be a daughter, could be a son. I, I, I don't want to have to fork out money to my daughter by saying this is, this is what I've heard from her. This is all of us. We have all done this. It's not fair, God. Why are you trying to ruin my life? But we go to the cross. We look up and we see who Jesus is and we see the resurrection and we are guided. It will appear then that life can be sometimes effortless because we've learned the path. We've learned the way of wisdom, and when we're old, we won't depart from it. We can stay on track. Once we learn the principles of discipleship, they guide us and they keep us. There are so many things that I don't know the answer to, but I know the trajectory. I know the path. I know I'm just going to trust Jesus here. I know that I can't turn away from Jesus' love. I do not know why this is happening in your life or my life. I can't explain it, and I know that it hurts. It hurts huge. And I can't tell you why it's there. I can only tell you, I know the path. I know the path of God. I know the path of my Father. I know the path of my Savior. I know it. And I've dedicated myself. I'm in. Are you in on this path? It tells us that we need to know and to see each other if we're going to help each other stay on the path. Will you know your child, will you sleep with a knot of wood? How many nights have I slept with a knot in my stomach? Because I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what's happening in my family. I don't know what's happening in my own life. But I will just rest with it and say, what is God about? What is God processing? What is God making of my life? God is making something. God is sculpting something. And he comes to me with a hammer and a chisel. And he comes to me with a whittling knife. And he says, I'm taking this to your life. And I say, help me. Make me. Bring me on path. I know the path of wisdom. Will God help us? Let's pray. Will we commit to this? Oh, God, I, I want to run from it so often. Will we commit just believing, just trusting, just knowing that you know what you're about. 
Will we help each other on this path? Will we be disciple makers who ourselves follow and who help others follow to stay on the path to the glory of God? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.